Hi, my name is Ellie Cody, and this is Manhattan Sideways. On this episode, we spoke with William Knuckle and Claude Noel Tolley, co-owners of Le Fagnon. I think the most amazing thing that I learned when I walked into Le Fagnon and met Claude Noel was that she had been there for close to 30 years at that point. Today, in 2019, she has been there for 30 years. Um, I loved hearing her story of how she came to New York thinking she would spend a few weeks as a a college girl and then decided that she didn't ever want to leave and met William and opened a shop that has lasted through decades of change in the West Village. So if I could start out by just having you each introduce yourself by name and then one of you tell me the name of your business. My name is Claude Noel Tolly. And uh, the name of my business is Le Fanion. My name is William Knuckle, and it's the same name. Can you two tell me when you started your business? Started, I believe it was probably 1986. 87, April 87. That was the, no, but that's when we had started the store. Yes. Kind of started because I had been in France with Claude Noel, and we had seen some things, and I thought, wow, this is really cool here. I mean, we have some stores like Pierre Deux that was in the neighborhood and some other stores, and that was when Bleecker Street was very full of little home stores and that sort of thing. At the time, I was doing some industrial roofing, and we were importing some materials from Europe, and I said, well, you know, we have some room in these shipments. Why don't we put something in? So we started off with getting some things and so we had the things furniture. we had the, furni- the furniture items here we had them here and the next step was well what do we do with them well first thing you do i would think is you start by going to a show an antique show and renting a little space which is what we did so we went and it was kind of hard you know moving furniture and stuff and claude noel was like you know what i came to new york i don't know if i'm really into this moving furniture stuff. <laughs> it's not why you came to New York not to, why move came to, New York around. to move furniture around. <laughs> Long story short with that was Claude said, well, if you want to do it, you can do it. I'm not, I'm not going to do this. I just don't care for doing, you know, doing all the work and standing all day. And the last breath for the idea came when Claude said, well, let's, let's just not do this. I said, well, why don't, why don't we try one more thing? Why don't you see if there's a little store, because we both lived in the village. There's a little store in the village, in the neighborhood, maybe there's something. And Claude called me the, the, that afternoon, I believe, and said, you know what, I found a store. I lived a couple of blocks away uh-huh. and then walked and there was a foreign sign in the, in the windows. They had been working on that building for a couple of years. There used to be uh, an old uh, grocery store there. And, uh, and, uh, you know, that's a funny story because when we first opened, many people from the neighborhood would come in and say, oh, that used to be my grocery store. And, you know, we felt a little sometimes people, a little animosity, you know. And now that we've been there for all these years, people are like, you better never move. You can't move. And so with the new, the new old established did you store in the corner? Do you feel like you did anything to change people's minds, or do you think it was just time and yeah, just time, just you know longevity? Mm-hmm. I think then people like you after you know when you're the new new person on the block, especially back then because the village hadn't changed yet. You know, it was very much 1987, full of old stores, old businesses, and 
So maybe some people... No, I think it was your charm, your charming nature that, that <laughs> pretty much did it. I don't know about that, but anyway. Front and center. Yeah. I think. <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me. That sounds right. <laughs> I know that a lot of small businesses have struggled with raising rents mm -hmm. around the city. Is that something that you have dealt with? Yeah, well, for sure. I mean, you know, our rent definitely has gone up. Um, you know, it's funny because it's expensive everywhere now. Yeah, it's not just New I York know. City. So it's just the fact of life now. You have to be able, you can't be afraid to, to you know, it's, it's really interesting because people come in Older folks come in and they'll say, oh, my God, that's so expensive. Well, because they've seen prices, like for a glass, they've seen a price of $8 for a glass when you can sell it, when you're selling it for 80 And they're like, wow, taken, taken back, taken aback. But younger people come in and they have no, it doesn't, because they, they're young. They're like the older people when they were young and they see the price. So a lot of it's just getting that, over that mindset that that you know you have to raise yeah, prices, so we, we, you have to keep up to with the prices. prices. You can't and you can't try you can't have your rent doubled and the prices <laughs> yeah. don't change. You just mm -hmm. it just everything yeah. has to fall in place, and we're pretty good at doing that. Obviously, the rent isn't the only thing that has changed in the village. Um, can you can you talk about mm -hmm. what what you've seen change mm -hmm. over the last decades? Yeah. yeah. You know, it used to be more uh, a neighborhood of either professional, like professors, musicians, and, you know, f successful people, but not out of touch with, with reality. By musicians, I mean like jazz musicians or people who play at the, at the Met or um, doctors, a lot of doctors, because there was St. Vincent's Hospital that was nearby, and, and, and artists who were able to live in the village. So now the population of the village is either people who work for in finance and... Google. And yeah, Google, and are young and live two or three in a studio, or people who are mega rich and who are rarely in the village. You know, they have a, well, a house. I, I, always, and I always say that, the, that the, the village looks the same as yeah. it always did because we're protected... You know, the village is protected by landmarks. But what's happened is that some people come in and they buy a house, for example, that has maybe at the time, 20 years ago, had five apartments. So they buy it, they renovate it, and they, don't, they have the money. They don't need to live there, so they never live there. They live who knows where in Switzerland or in, down in the Caribbean somewhere or something, and they come to New York for a week, but the house looks beautiful and the, the look is the same, but there's not five families or five interesting people anymore. There's yeah. one and they're there for a there. week. So yeah. we have them mm -hmm. for a week. So in that respect, I think it's changed, uh, changed a lot. So you have lasted a really long time, you know, compared to many businesses in yes. New York. It's really hard to stay afloat. Yes. Um, what... What has made that possible? What's the secret? <laughs> you know, I think one of the things, because a lot of people who come now to the store have never been, they say, oh, when did you just open? And I think we've maintained an air of freshness in there. It's not stale, you know, it's not, we never accumulate things. We, we've, 
always update the store, even though we carry the same kind of merchandise in style and it's antiques and it's, but we've always kept it like sort of vibrant. Uh, part of it, I think, because we're both extremely enthusiastic about what we sell. Um, you know, we only buy what we love. We've never compromised on that, even though we've sometimes been told, oh, you can get this for cheap there, or these people can, but we don't follow that somehow. I, I, I mean, the, the irony a bit of our success is, I think we're in truth very bad business people, uh, if we were better business people, um, probably well, we, if we, had MBAs, we, we, wouldn't, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't still be working there to begin be, with. We wouldn't have even started it. <laughs> you know, William washes the windows, I sweep, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like I write the tags, I do all the, you know, uh -huh. it's very hands-on. So I think we've always, you know, very much valued quality. We have like, and I don't mean to sound arrogant, but it's the truth and I have nothing to do with it because it's all made by other people. We work with extremely talented uh, people, craftsmen in, in France, and we choose very carefully what we sell. We've never compromised on that. And I think people, you know, can tell that there is uh, quality. And, um, and we had a, you know, a landlord who has cooperated some with us. I think they appreciated that we were low key because they have they some of them live in the neighborhood. I think they they like that. Low key in what way? Well, that we're not a big name. That we're not uh, you know calling. They never wanted any food business, and uh, so you know it's kind of in the last what ten fifteen years that all the big um, big names moved to Bleecker Street, and you know before that all these little stores were too little for. Ralph Lauren or people like that, right? And then they started to move to Bleecker Street, but by then we had already been there for like, you know, 20 years. So I think he, he, he liked having us as a small company there rather than dealing with a big, so he's accommodated us some. And, but I, I really think it's our passion and we've always been very, uh, you know, adamant about that with people who work for us. We, you know, I think we've established a certain standard of being, and uh, and. Well, I, I I can add that one of the things behind my um, part of that was that when I was very young, I met a, a New York lawyer, and I asked him, "What's the key to success?" Because I thought, you know, there was some cash in a brown bag or kind of <laughs> that sort of thing, but. He says, staying power. And I always live by that, that kind of rule because no matter, it seems like when you're in a small business like this, you really have to do most everything. You have to do accounting, you have to do shoveling, you have to do cleaning, you have to do uh, uh, marketing. And you really need to have something that drives the whole, the whole envelope. I think staying power is, for me, was what kept my spirit going. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a challenge. When an older gentleman from New York says staying power, then when you're young and you hear that, that's, that, that's impressive and it stayed with me. Where do you get the motivation for that staying power? Humbleness and, mm -hmm. and just being happy 
in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. just living in a neighborhood that you really like, I think that's part of it. I mean, we stuck with the store as it is. We had once thought when we were a little more uh, ambitious, we had once thought to open something on Madison Avenue. And we had some friends, they were actually neighbors there to, on West 4th Street. And they, have, they had a store, they managed a store, uh, Lancel, I think yes, it was, right? Lancel, yeah. So we tried putting, they let us decorate their windows and we tried putting things there. And you know, it was the same sort of thing as, as the shows. Oh, another store. Oh my God, we got to trust somebody to be there. And oh my God, we got to carry everything there. And we ended up just sticking with what we had. And we thought it was more authentic that way. And the, the things that we sell are not available in mass quantities anyway, so it would be hard for us. I mean, we couldn't, we, we don't really worry about uh, someone taking our ideas or anything because there isn't that much of it. You, could, you couldn't put it in, in every target in the United States. It's just there isn't enough of it. That's true. Let's talk for a second about what you sell at your shop. Well, we carry many things. We carry, um, <clears throat> well, antique furniture, 18th, 19th century. We carry uh, vintage paintings. We carry uh, crystal colored fruit chandeliers. We have a very large collection of antique pottery from the 18th and 19th century, and a lot of new pottery that is all um, handmade pretty much in the, the tradition of the 18th and 19th century. What area of France do you tend to source from? Uh, the south of France. Okay. Is that where you're from originally? <clears throat> yes. I grew up in the south of France, and I, um, I uh, graduated from uh, political science. And once I graduated, I was like scratching my head as what I was going to do. So I had the opportunity to come to the, the States for a trip. I did in the summer and fell in love with the country. And I thought, hmm, it's very different and cool here. So I went back to France and then settled my things. And then I thought, I'll go and live in New York for a couple of months, a few months. And, that and was then, then you stayed? Yeah, and then I stayed. I kept going back and, 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 you know, for a couple of years. But then one day I was like, okay. This and is where I want to be. What did your family think about you moving to the United Ooh, States? That was the difficult part. They were, they were not happy with that at all. <laughs> I was 21, I think, at uh -huh. the time, something like that, and they totally were not, were not happy. But, um, you know, I was always pretty independent, so I stuck to my guns. Once, uh, you know, shortly after I opened the store, my mother told me who didn't like me living in New York to begin with. She said... I can't believe you graduated from political science to become a mover. William, what's your background? I'm from yeah. New Jersey. Yeah. And I always loved New York City and started in film and at NYU. I was in the film school, the undergrad film school at NYU. And I met Claude Noel. I think it, I think it was on the, my graduation of Columbia. I met you. I, I remember I went into... Claude worked in a little... Restaurant here. Oh yeah, Polish. because before being a mover, I was a waitress. She was a waitress. <laughs> oh, your mom must have been thrilled. Oh, she, she loves that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I remember because I was dressed to go to the to the commencement exercises, and I stopped in there because I used to go in there all the time to eat. That's how we became friends. Why did you start talking? Blanquette de veau. <laughs> Thank you.
I imagine that one of the pros of working together is that you can distribute the work and all of those little tasks. But what are some pros and cons of working in a partnership, especially when you're so meticulous about the business? Well, well the cons is like, you know, after 30 years, you get on each other's nerves sometimes. <laughs> well, uh, but the pros is, after 30 years, you know each other's strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, you, you're like... I, I, I kind of don't think about it. Yeah. I just, I'm happy. So yeah. I'm not really, I don't really care about, at this point, about... But we know, you know what I'm good at. I know what you're good at. And yeah, I know. I, I think, I mean, it's kind of the standard, the standard uh, situation between people is if you get along with people from the start, you know it. And you, you have to like them and you, you stick with a, a situation because it works. If it didn't work, it wouldn't, it wouldn't yeah. happen. Yeah. What about your relationship works? Well, just being, just, when you like somebody, you, things, things work. Yeah. A lot of times when you, there's confusion there because you're, you know, you can separate that from, from business and you can say, well, you like somebody. It doesn't always work when you like somebody. Sometimes the other person doesn't like you and you're, that doesn't work. But when you make a decision to do something and the person that you made the decision with, you like them, then that's the key. I think that's the key. If you tried to start a partnership with somebody you didn't like, I don't know. It, would, it seems well, like I, it wouldn't. It seems like I it wouldn't be. I think we're both very serious and very committed, yeah. and so we committed to this, and we make sure it works because mm -hmm. because it's it's also it's it started from, and probably more on William's part because for me the south of France was you know, for granted. I mean, I grew up there. So William truly had a, a big romance with it. And um, that to me was probably inspiring to see how someone could be so infatuated with this region that I took for granted because I grew up there. And he made me discover things that I thought, you know, it's pretty normal, but then it's not normal at all. And... Um, yeah, the commitment to, you know, we made a business decision to start a business and, uh, and we've always um, tried to make it work. Like he says, I mean, from the start, there was a liking, but there was, you know, we established a certain kind of trust and um, that is the, the root of, of, the, of the business is we, tr we trust each other. He trusts me when I go to France, I'm going to do my best to find the best. I trust him, he's going to do exactly that. And when I'm in New York, that's my responsibility to run the business as best as I can. And, and also I think it's uh, knowing within your heart the ability to walk away keeps something like that going. Because if you feel like you're, you're, you're tied to it, you might develop some dislike in time. But resentment when, almost when you when you have a when you keep small and you keep uh, original you can walk away because you know what you did and you 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 can you can leave you can walk away and that's maybe not anything that we consciously talked about but if you think about it if you if we own 50 stores th there might be reasons to to stay that would had nothing to do with being able to walk away or not. I, I like the, the ability to just walk away. I think that keeps the thing going very well. 
Are you thinking of walking away anytime soon? Every day. <laughs> now that would be Claude Noel would say. That's right. Yeah, but, you I, know, I, 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 mean, I probably don't share that. Uh. <laughs> but you, but, but you know, it's uh, when you think of it. When, when people think about retirement, and France is big for that. Everybody, like at age sixty, they want to re- like. Europe is better want, about it than the workaholics. But, but in they no, but they do, and then they're unhappy. And they leave the thing that they love to do, and they don't know what to do. Okay, I totally disagree with what he's saying. So, <laughs> you think that you'd be happy? No, well, but I see I see people in France. There are some people who are cool, and they they retire. Okay, but but he's just he's just willing you not to. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Well, it's okay. We can walk away. But me, I wouldn't walk away because I committed to it thirty-two mm-hmm. years or whatever ago. So yeah, we're we're, 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 we're kind of like on a on a run, you know. And it's like, oh, we can't really. What are we gonna do? We're gonna stop now. What are we gonna do? Open a restaurant? Yuck. Have you ever been approached about you know being bought out or moving? Not really in a serious manner. We've sold to. We've sold once Was in a it while. Like- Bloomingdale's. Uh, it was think, uh, no? it was ABC. We sold things to um, someone oh, that, right. had, oh, yes. that had a business inside there. Yeah. The reason I said that is because we never wanted to dilute the brand. There's so many businesses we've thought that have diluted their charm that were originally Greenwich Village old places, and they started expanding and having stores all around and. They've changed, so we didn't want to do that. We wanted to keep it real. If we were able to get, by some mysterious thing, some a little more space, <laughs> that, yeah. that could change. But yeah, no, we wouldn't want to move because we're known as being a, you know, like a. In fact, the corner is great. In fact, when we first found when Claude Noel first found the store, I thought, wow, this is really great because. People on the Upper East Side, you know, they have lots of money, and they'll like think, "Wow, we can go to the we can go down to the village and find that place. It's so charming down there." And I think there's something to be said for that. I think people have kind of enjoyed that over the years. I mean, some people come and say, "Oh my God, I couldn't find you," you know, looking all day. But uh, and nowadays, there's never a problem because you have you know you have Siri to call up and she'll tell you how to get there. But back then, maybe it was maybe it was kind of nice. And, and when you're living on the Upper East Side, you're like, oh, let's go to the village. Yeah, there's that little store I heard about, my girlfriend told me about. <laughs> and, and what would we do? We wouldn't want to move well, into Macy's or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be like a total disaster for, for what we're doing, you know. So. And is that your biggest customer base, sort of, you know, living on, on the Upper East Side? No. No. Who, who no, are your customers? Can you tell me about them? Oh, they're very. We have everybody, celebrity. We have everybody. I know very people. You know, all through the United States when they come, you know, to visit their children who live in New York or just visiting. Um, we have, we have, we have all kinds really, of. We have so many different really kinds of beautiful yeah, customers. Yeah. It's really a pleasure yeah. to have customers like we have. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Also, that has always been a great reward having the store is that. Uh, you know, people step in and they are like very much um, 
in love and they say it, which is really wonderful. It is a beautiful space. So the, <laughs> when I walked in there, I was so amazed. And there's the chandelier yeah, right yeah, as you walk yeah, in and right, it immediately yeah. catches mm-hmm. your eye. Yeah, and then yeah, sort yeah. of everywhere you yeah, look, there's yeah. something else that, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it really moves you through Maybe the Maybe that's what has kept us so long, is to get all these compliments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how, how do people find you? Besides, you know, walking by well, and seeing well, the window. Yeah, walking around or they, you know, so now we have Instagram and Facebook and a website. Mm-hmm. So they, if they look for French pottery, we come up right away because it's become pretty pretty rare. We do advertise some. We, we used do to run, a bit We used more. to run a couple of ads, but we never really had the budget for that. So it was more word of mouth, I yeah. think. And uh, we did some direct mail at the, that worked out and on occasion we do that. We never have a sale? Well, we do have a sale. What, for two days? So, I, so people would always say, well, people would always say, well, uh, you know, you're going to have a sale. And we're like, well, no. No, because but, the things that you sell are, are then, worth what they're yes, worth. Yes, exactly. Well, I mean, so, so I couldn't so, imagine. So, so we had, a, we had a, um, a, a shipment that came and got all broken. And... Uh, it was heartbreaking because these things were so fabulous. So I don't remember how it happened, but we said, "Well, we're gonna put, we're gonna glue them back together." You know, <laughs> that's how hands I mean, on. That's how. Are. That's how. <laughs> that's how heartbreaking it was. We'll just we'll just glue them back together, and we'll we'll see. And we decided that we thought, well, you know, we have these pots, and they look kind of good. They look kind of cool, you know, and even even glued together. So we thought, well, you know, we're gonna we're gonna have in France. They have these flea markets. Usually, they're kind of hokey, but we said we're gonna have a little flea market. And, and we uh, made like what a five dollar table. Or and we made a little table that, that we were selling. That we were selling them for a dollar a piece. These <laughs> pots, you know, they were like we were selling them in the store for two hundred dollars. Yeah. So that we would feel better about losing them. Mm-hmm. That somebody had them and loved them. Well, we set out a, a weekend and we decided we're gonna have a flea market and we put these pots out. And I remember somebody came by and says, oh, my God, look at them. They're selling broken pots. And I thought, oh, well, it's just some neighborhood person that doesn't get it. And just moments after, a big limousine pulled up. And who steps out of the limousine but Paloma Picasso? And she walks up to the table. I was there. Claude was there. And we're like, who is this person? We had no idea who it was, you know. And by the way, often that happens with celebrities. I don't know who they are until they give me their credit card, you know. So uh, she comes up to the table, and within three seconds, she said, I'll, I'll take all of the pots. Wow. And we're like, wow. wow, that's great. I mean, I wish the guy was here, had been there, that was like so snarky about it. So anyway, uh, Paloma bought some other things in the store, and it was really great. And that's what started our sale. So we have now we have a sale once a year because we have to kind of have a sale because people want you to have a sale. When you're in retail, they're like, you have to have a sale. So. Do you still do it as a flea market? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, so one weekend yeah, in, the, then, in, this, yeah. in a year, we send little cards to our customers and we have a flea market. Yeah. And it's fun because that is like advertising because it gets people who are walking down the street to be like, wow, what's going on over here? Mm-hmm. So we did that yeah, as Yeah, that's as, great fun. We, we because could, we are outside, we meet all the neighbors, people come. Yeah. You know, so when, yeah. when in the year do you do that? Usually the first weekend of December now we do it. Because we decided we were too busy in the spring and summer mm-hmm. to do it. So that's mm-hmm. when we do it. And uh, it's cold usually, but it's still great fun. <laughs> 
It's very, very convivial. So and I'm going I'm I'm to ask you this. Oh. <laughs> when did we, was it before the flea markets or after that we had the, the little festival that we had? No, there? before. It was before. Yes. Okay. What and was nobody the festival? Would, nobody would come. So. so back before 9-11, of course, you could do a lot of stuff in New York. You can get away with a lot, even with the help of the police and everything. So we decided that we were going to close Bank Street the block between West Fourth and and um, Waverly, uh, Great, uh, Waverly, and we were going to have a party Bastille Day for Bastille, for Bastille Day. Oh, okay. So we were yeah. going to do a party. We said well, we're going to do a party. So, you know, I think when I came into the shop, I think it might have been Bastille Day over the summer because I remember saying, "Oh, you're, are you doing anything for Bastille Day?" And you told me. So yeah. <laughs> so t- I told you that story. Yeah. No, right? tell me again though. All right. All right. So maybe you can tell. So well, the first one we did was a bit of a fiasco because it rained. It was, well, but the year after, so the year after, we were like, "Are we going to do it? Are we not going to do it?" And uh, and this kid who was a student in France somehow found out about us and contacted me and said he was doing a, a, a project for school. He was like 19, 20, I think, at the time, right? He was doing a project for school and uh, he was going to call it Provence in New York and he was organizing this trip around Bastille Day just happened. And uh, would I be interested in participating? Anyway, we that was, you know, before internet, before cell phones and all that, right? So I guess we did that either by phone or by by letters. So anyway, he said he was coming with two companies of troubadours, of dancers, of folk dancers and uh, musicians, maybe about, what, 50, 60 people all together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, well, we are planning to do a little party on, um, it was maybe the 12th of July, and... Uh, and um, he said, well, we could totally come, you know, and they'll play music and they'll dance and they'll do this, they'll do that. And I was like, wow, that sounds wonderful, you know, that'd be amazing. And uh, so we decided to do that. I had never met him, right? I, I, had no, I knew nothing about him except that. And so that day we were starting to get ready. We had to ask right, a permit to close. Let me, let me inter- interrupt for a minute <laughs> because we decided that we're only going to do this thing for two hours. That was it. It wasn't going to be like an all day because we, we didn't want to... Yeah, it would start like at five or we didn't, something like we that. Didn't, we five till do it from five till seven. We wanted to do it five till seven because we didn't want to upset the neighbors. We didn't want, We just wanted it to be quick and like a dream. So with Laurent, I had agreed that they would show up like at five. And again, that year, it rained in the afternoon. But then around three, four, the rain calmed down. And uh, the person who worked with me at the time, that was Jennifer, I believe... Uh, so we were looking at our watches, you know, because, you know, before a party, there's nothing going on. You're like, nobody's going to show up, whatever. And I was like, well, I hope they show up. I hadn't heard from Laurent and his troubadours, for, you know, for like a month or two months, right? And so five o'clock rolls by, five or five, where we were starting to, to set up. And we're like, they're not, they're not going to come. I mean, that's too far-fetched anyway. These people would come all the way from France like this and show up. And then all of a sudden, I started to hear a little bit of music, it sounded like. And so, we're like, do you hear this? Do you hear that? And then we started to look down West 4th. And it was the most amazing thing. I think we might have cried or laughed. I don't know what we did. But I don't know how they managed. The traffic let them go by. They had, and afterwards we heard they all came out through the, uh, the subway, on the subway, all dressed <laughs> like in their folklore, you know. 
outfits Provencal and their tambourines dressed. and their flutes and they came marching down West 4th Street and the cars let them go by and it was the most amazing thing because of course everybody thought how did these guys us pulled off having you know 60 oh, dancers and oh my god it was the most they pulled up as though they were like straight as though they had walked from France it looked like you know they were straight out of Provence it was like the cutest thing and they were in very much, you know, in a party and, mood. And, and, and then everybody started to dance and there was music and firecrackers. And, and, and then at and the end, at the end, I had, I had driven through. Now, this is something that you would never be able to do now. But I think you do it in Chinatown. <laughs> but I had dr- driven across country and, I, and, of course, you know, I had to stop in the firecracker store, you know. You have to. They have big <laughs> signs. <laughs> and I was really intrigued because I was able to buy these firecrackers that were maybe, I don't know, the firecrackers might have been 10-foot-long string of firecrackers. So they had been, the, the dancers had been taking a break, and so I said, well, let's, let's light up some firecrackers for Bastille Day. So I laid them out and lit them, and they went off. And I don't know if you've ever been in Chinatown for Chinese New Year, and they start lighting firecrackers, and it's really crazy. I mean, it's really crazy. And in Chinatown, it kind of fits because it's Chinatown. <laughs> but Bank Street, <laughs> with firecrackers going like that, was really cool. But with the, the most beautiful thing of it was that when the last firecracker went off, all of these Provencal troubadours and singers and dancers all sang the Marseillaise. <laughs> Wow, that couldn't be more riot. perfect. Oh, it was like out of a movie. Oh, it was like out of a movie. Completely. From, totally from amazing. Was yes. really cool. After that, we thought, how are we going to top off that Bastille Day party? So we did the flea market. It's <laughs> <laughs> more reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> it's more reasonable. You have to pay the rent. <laughs> It's funny because we had a, um, a, a customer who's been buying from us for a long time. And um, after maybe 10 years, 12 years of, of buying, he came one day, we were talking, and he said, you know, it's really incredible because uh, you have better things now than you used to before. And I said, well, I think because our eyes have become more educated and we're more, uh, we can discriminate more even than we did at first. And um, so I think there is, you know, it's like highly curated mm-hmm. and just like when you go to a, you know, a museum or a place like this, people recognize that also. How did you develop that eye, you know, as that, since it's not something you studied, I, yeah. it's just something that you did yeah. and learned from? I don't know. Like, just like, um, like street sellers, you, 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 you know what people like and you go for that. And you keep going in that direction. But that's what we choose. I mean, we've always chosen, and people liked what we chose. We always, but I think, I think behind it, really, you, you have to kind of find things that people will like. I don't know. I think sometimes it's a bit a, of sometimes luck, little, I guess. a little bit of potluck, I think. Right? Yeah. And it's luck that what we like, people also like. I guess, I suppose. Who do you source from for the shop? Well, now we have quite a number of them that we've been working with for many years. 
We found them, either friends told us, oh, there is this amazing potter here or this amazing potter there. Um, sometimes at uh, uh, pottery shows. I'd say probably, what, three quarters of the people we work with now, we've worked with for at least 20 years. They are very appreciative of working with us because they're happy to have an outlet in New York. For them, mm -hmm. it's kind of glamorous. Mm -hmm. You know, we're nice people and we pay them always when we come and get the goods and we've developed a very beautiful relationship where they have loyalty to us because they know that we come back year after year and so it's this sort of really beautiful little you know system relationship that has that has worked and I think they're very excited to be represented in New York because uh, you know a lot of these craftsmen they They're like almost little farmers. I mean, they work, you know, it's on more or less like farms. They often uh, make their own clay. They, you know, they make everything. So, you know, when they think of themselves in a boutique in New York, they're very excited. I think staying power has a lot to do with this as <laughs> yes, well because, yes. because you, you have to continue all the time and it's not always so easy. I, I think it's really hard to convey this uh, fact that William and I do almost everything because I almost started to cry in the store when uh, we had a shipment in December and every item we unwrapped, like every item I happened to unwrap that day, I had packed in France, you know, and packing pottery, it means if I have to pack this glass, you know, you have to have rolls of bubble wrap, you have to cut strips of bubble wrap, you have to wrap. The pottery is very dirty, it's cold or it's dirty or both. Then you have to wrap this. Then you have to worry that you wrapped it well enough. Then you have to put it in crates. Then you have to get the trucker to come over. Then you have to get the crates on the truck, which is no, <laughs> that's not, that's a big, big ordeal too. Then you have to almost pray that for a month, someone else who cares absolutely nothing about your crates will not do anything wrong to them. Then you have to get the crates here. You have to get them off the truck. You have to open the crates. You have to rummage through all the chips and undo the bubble wrap. And then this like amazing jewel comes out and you're like so excited. But between these two steps, there was a lot of labor. But I think that's also how we developed respect from the people we work with is that they know it's us choosing, taking care of things and selling. And I think they respect that a lot because they're all small craftsmen and they can relate to that. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't show up with our chauffeur and, oh, I'll take this, this and that, and then leave and they have to do all the work. I mean, I think there is an element of our respect, right, from the people we work with. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Ellie Cody and this has been Manhattan Sideways. If you'd like to learn more about this particular business or to discover and read about thousands of other fascinating small businesses on the side streets of Manhattan, please visit our website, sideways.nyc, and of course, follow us on Instagram and Facebook, at NYSideways. <laughs>